Lindy Kaiser, Senior Editor of Clarence Jobs. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Margaret Weikert, Deputy Director of Management at the Office of Management and Budget. She's departing the agency this month for a new position in the private sector, but her tenure in government is one of tremendous change and significant accomplishment for security clearance reform, which has been a priority under the President's management agenda. So cross-agency priority goals help the government and government leaders and decision makers prioritize change and innovation, and the PMA has had a major oversight role in all of the clearance reform that we've seen move forward in the past year and particularly even the past few months. So thank you so much, Margaret, for your time and your service and taking the time to chat with me for a few minutes today. My pleasure. I'm thrilled to talk to you. So my first question is, when it comes to the security clearance reform efforts that we have in progress now, there's a ton of just moving parts and different issues. Is there a specific line of effort or issue that you find to be particularly important? I think there's several. When I arrived to government two and a half years ago, we had significant backlogs shortly after I arrived. Congress enacted in the NDAA statute that moved background investigation shared service from OPM to the Department of Defense. And so that was also a major priority for us. And then throughout all of this, there's an obvious need for continuous improvement and really moving to a more future forward, agile process for establishing a trusted workforce. And so our three key areas of focus have been eliminating the backlog doing the transfer of background investigations to the Department of Defense and ultimately what became DCSA, and doing something we've called Trusted Workforce 2.0, which is really modernizing the entire process, technology, and tools supporting our trusted workforce activities, including a real embrace of continuous vetting. And so, yeah, those three milestones were basically all key accomplishments that I know that came out of the PMA in their December 2019 report. If you can kind of tease into what maybe we would expect from the next quarter, what does that next quarterly report look like? What are you seeing? Continuation of the improvements of those things or other big key lines of effort? We have all but eliminated the backlog. So we are more or less at our steady state backlog metric, which is 200,000 cases in backlog, and we're kind of hovering right around that point. So we feel we have done a great job in managing down from 725,000 cases in backlog down to the current approximately 200,000 cases in backlog. We're now focused very much on other metrics, including the timeliness, the number of overall cases worked in the established timeframes for secret and top, top secret clearance. So we continue to work on those and report on those if people are interested in kind of the current state of our metrics and our targets. You can go to performance.gov and see all the detail around those metrics. So I think in the first tranche of focus, the metrics around backlog, mission accomplished, we'll continue to make sure we don't lose ground on that front, but we feel good about that. We're moving into some additional metrics. In terms of the transfer of background investigations, to DCSA. We did the legal move on October the 1st of 2019. On time, on budget, we offered jobs to every employee that was working on that mission. All but 17 who retired now work for DCSA. We continue to have some final closeout work to do on the finance, accounting, and IT side, and we're working that using the same Colgate process that we used to hit the original milestones around that. But operationally, we're in really good shape on that transfer and feel very good about that. 
where we're going to be spending most of our time going forward in 2020 and beyond is this notion of trusted workforce 2.0. We are absolutely on a path to move towards continuous evaluation, particularly in lower risk circumstances. And we have just recently issued executive correspondence from ODNI, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and the Office of Personnel Management, OPM, last month established the foundational elements of our continuous vetting program. We are working on technology improvements in that realm so we can take on more cases. But in every case, we're balancing the need for speed and agility with the core mission about having a truly trusted workforce. And so the goal is not just metrics around speed and timeliness, but it's actually to increase quality as well. And one of the things that continuous vetting does for us is it allows us to not go five years before we have red flags pop up that might make us want to look at the challenges in our workforce. Yeah, you definitely touch on an issue that I hear come up. You know, we always say it's quantity versus quality, and you can't really have that in the security clearance process. Oh, move more cases through and then let quality suffer. You really have to have quality and the ability to rapidly get investigations through. And that seems to be something that folks like you who are kind of managing these programs seem to understand that now. You can't have a give or take. Right. And that, I think, is the notion of real value-added transformation is not looking to just do incremental improvement on a single metric. It's really solving for a system level, not IT system, but business system level set of challenges so that we're asking, what does our target state need to look like so that we can achieve better quality, lower cost, and more timeliness? We don't buy into the premise that these are trade-offs. We need all of those things to be true. And so we have to take enough of an innovative approach to make all of those things true. And now you touched on the backlog. Something I'm kind of talking about now is why are we still talking about the backlog? Because there is no backlog. I mean, you are at what they say is a quote unquote historic steady state. Do you think just because those figures got so high, that's going to be something? Because I still hear members of Congress talk about the clearance backlog as if it's like a present tense factor. Do you think it's just yeah. because that number got so high, they're still talking about it? Or, is, or are we going to get to I a point where we don't so. talk about that? I think it will always be a notion. I come out of a Six Sigma environment. So I'm going to use some language that's, that's kind of Six Sigma S. Backlog, because it was so out of control, was a primary metric for the purposes of getting back in control. So that when I say in control, I use that in the Six Sigma framework of statistical process control. So it is still important and we will still monitor that, but it is not a primary metric anymore. It's a secondary metric. So it's something we watch, but we're now focused on optimizing other metrics around speed of response and quality. And those are the primary metrics that we're more focused on. People need to get used to what we're focused on now because it's fun to make speeches about things that are kind of out of control. I think people now understand we've made significant progress. and, And I will add, we've really benefited from a very strong bipartisan support for doing the things we need to do to get it into control. So I've spent a significant amount of time on the Hill on both sides of the aisle working this issue and really appreciate the collaborative nature of the work that we've done with both the chair 
and the vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee that have spent a lot of time on this issue. That has definitely been an encouragement to see. And that's one of the things, it's always one of the bad things when something gets really broken, but then you have a lot of people who are hyper motivated to fix it. And I think we've seen that happen again over the past couple of years. And then also the information sharing, which is key. Do you can think there anything, what kind of contributed to that? Because I know when I talk to industry, they say things may be bad, but they're at least getting more information now than they have historically. Is that just born out of the challenges or what contributed to kind of that success story? So I think one of the things that has been a centerpiece of what I hope to bring to government from the private sector is the notion of creating routines that are repeatable, sustainable, and rational. The routines around information sharing and metrics, we technology enabled through performance.gov and through the vehicle and focusing mechanism of the president's management agenda so that the metrics around this are routine, repeatable, sustainable, and rational. They're not episodic. So they're not driven by, you know, a hearing on the Hill. They're driven by the end of a quarter. Uh, At the end of the quarter, we report through performance.gov a range of performance metrics related to the cross-agency priority goal around background investigations. That is a sustainable way of work, and we're doing that for a host of things, but it just makes for a simpler and more substantive conversation. If we don't get bogged down in show me the metrics, show me the metrics, we can say, well, look at the metrics on performance.gov. Now let's talk about root cause issues that are affecting those metrics. And so we spend more time talking about substance, both between the executive branch and Congress, but also with industry, because we don't spend the times where we interact just talking about the basic facts. People can read the basic facts on their own time, and then we come prepared to meetings to work on issues. That is a key thing about the PMA and especially the dialogue that's been going on between Congress and the government about this issue is the demand for information and timeliness metrics and all of that. Now, one thing I noticed about the PMA is that when it comes to some of those milestones, it's like whose line is it anyway rules. So the milestones are made up and the dates don't matter because sometimes they fly by, they get superseded with other policy legislation. So if you're trying to follow something, sometimes like e-app, you're tied to a milestone that doesn't necessarily fit. Can you kind of speak to why that happens and why hitting the milestones sometimes happens and why hitting them doesn't happen and why it's important that both those are reported through the PMA? I think that is a difference that we've tried to bring to bear. Again, in the private sector, any type of performance management tool that shows all green is viewed with deep skepticism because that isn't how you expect systems to behave. It's it's the only time things look that way or if they are essentially plugs or not aggressive enough. And so if you don't have metrics that are challenging you and moving the bar forward, you don't actually know where to focus or you're not pushing. So we have embraced the notion that let's get to the truth, let's report metrics that matter. And so We did very well in the transaction of moving background investigations from OPM to Department of Defense. And the root cause of part of how we were able to do that was both management discipline as well as congressional clarity. In some cases, we know that we might have a mandate and put something in place, but we aren't able to get the resources aligned to our more aggressive dates or 
we encounter some challenge or interpretation issue that makes it difficult. But again, reporting the actual data helps you talk about the barrier to hitting the date and really focus on substance and not just look to metrics to kind of showcase goodness, but really as an operational tool. This is Lindy Kaiser, Senior Editor of ClearanceJobs.com. Thank you again for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more security clearance news and defense industry information, please visit news.clearancejobs.com.